We have a 20-year-old motorcyclist who crashed into a median at freeway speeds, who arrives pale, diaphoretic, tachypnic, poorly responsive, with a heart rate of 156 and a blood pressure of 74 over 56. We also have an 84-year-old woman who fell down the stairs at home, who is confused, tachypnic, with a heart rate of 65 and a blood pressure of 102 over 94. Which of these patients is in hemorrhagic shock? This is Trauma Nursing To Go. Just want to start off with thank you all for your patience. I have every intention of keeping this podcast going um, as I pull my free time together. It's a slow, gradual process, but the great thing about podcasts is that it will always be there. All right, moving on. Today, we're going to talk about the most common type of shock seen in trauma patients, a type of hypovolemic shock known as hemorrhagic shock. We're going to quickly wrap our heads around what causes shock and how we can recognize it early. Hemorrhage is the leading cause of preventable death in trauma patients. I'm going to emphasize that again, the leading cause of preventable death. We see many patients who sustain absolutely non-survivable injuries, but this, we can do something about this. We can prevent this. This is how we save lives in the trauma world. Let's start off by picturing in our head, what does shock look like to you? Maybe a patient in shock is critically ill, probably profoundly hypotensive. There's a lot of noise and beeping from all the IVs and machines in the room because we are hanging pressers and boluses, and for my ER people, wondering when ICU will be ready to take this patient. There's no doubt that this is a sick patient. Now what I initially am picturing, and you may be too, is someone who is in very advanced, decompensated, and possibly refractory shock. What we need to understand is the shock started long before we finally realized this patient is really sick. All types of shock are related to impaired cardiac output. In hemorrhagic shock, the cardiac output is decreased because they are losing their blood volume, literally their volume of blood. Factors that determine cardiac output are your stroke volume and your heart rate. I bring this up because what number do we usually look for when we think maybe they're in shock? We're looking for hypotension. What is not a direct indicator of cardiac output? Your blood pressure. We need to get it out of our head that if the blood pressure is okay, the patient's fine. There is no test that we can run and know for sure that a patient is in shock or not. You have to look at the overall clinical picture. When our patient goes into hemorrhagic shock, They're losing their blood volume, which means they're losing their cardiac output and their body is losing perfusion. The body is going to go to plan B and try to make do with anaerobic metabolism to survive and will build up that lactic acid. Once the body realizes that it is going into shock, there are various ways it can compensate, temporary measures to keep itself alive. If our patient rapidly starts bleeding, when that blood volume suddenly drops, your baroreceptors in aorta and carotids notice the lack of pressure and stretch and start a neurochemical cascade to compensate. By neurochemical, I'm talking about a catecholamine surge, the body's very own organic non-GMO, epinephrine and norepinephrine. The catecholamine surge, as part of that sympathetic fight or flight response with that increased heart rate and peripherally vasoconstrict the blood vessels to try to just perfuse our core, meaning your brain, your heart, your lungs, your kidneys. 
This results in cool skin signs, but a normally mentating patient and probably a normal blood pressure. Another effect of the catecholamine surge is glycogenesis. Ever wonder why your trauma patients all seem to be diabetic and they don't know? Their sugar is 250 is not necessarily because they have undiagnosed diabetes. It's likely a response to the catecholamine surge and the physiological stress. Patient's heart rate will increase. Their pulse pressure will increase, meaning the difference between the systolic and diastolic numbers. Do you think twice about a blood pressure of 105 over 95? With a patient who is alert and oriented with a BP of 105 over 95 and a heart rate of 105, are they just a little anxious about being in the car accident? Or are they already in hemorrhagic shock and their body is desperately trying to compensate? Other ways the body can compensate include using our chemoreceptors, which notice that we have an increase in our CO2. Remember all that anaerobic metabolism and lactic acid buildup. So the pH is dropping because the patient is becoming more acidotic. The body's response to this, easy. We just try to blow it off, right? We're going to try to hyperventilate and blow off that CO2. This can be subtle. And I'm sure none of you ever do this in nursing, but we do have old habits of looking at a patient and saying, 18, 20. When in fact you need to look closely and a respiratory rate of 22 could in fact be your patient in shock trying to blow off some of that acid or CO2. Other ways the body will compensate include the kidney's more delayed response. When there's hypotension, when they are not being perfused, they will retain salt and water and start a hormonal cascade to pull volume back to the vessels. This starts with an initial decrease in urinary output, but that cascade can take hours to days to progress. Another common compensating mechanism is the trigger of SIRS, that systemic inflammatory response. Just like it has been drilled into your head about sepsis, this is a normal physiologic response to being injured. Your patients may spike fevers the night of their admission. Their white count will be increased. Those inflammatory mediators have been released. Just like in sepsis, this response can be prolonged and lead to multi-organ failure. So what we have is a patient who is alert, maybe anxious, maybe tachypnic, maybe tachycardic, normotensive, perhaps with a narrow pulse pressure and perhaps cool extremities. Who isn't a little anxious after being hit by a car? Have cold extremities after crashing in the winter? Tachycardic because a group of strangers just cut off all their clothes. This is compensated shock. This is what we need to recognize and reverse before the patient gets shocked and decompensates. So we've covered the first stage of shock, compensated. If we do not recognize and reverse this, our patients progress to decompensated shock where all of these compensatory mechanisms will begin to fail. In this stage, now our patient might become hypotensive. Generally, they get hypotensive after about a third of your blood volume is gone, generally. The squeeze of the blood vessels will fail, right, from our catecholamine surge. They may tire of blowing off all that CO2 and go into respiratory failure. Your kidneys will stop producing urine and try to start their long hormone cascade to get perfusion back. But as we know, that will take several days and that is not going to save them right now. And one of the latest signs of shock, your patient's mental status will diminish until they become unresponsive. Once the brain loses perfusion, you are in a bad, bad state. If we don't reverse shock once it is decompensated, the patient will progress into refractory or irreversible shock. Shock is always fatal. It is up to us to reverse the causes and treat the shock. 
When you have a patient who's in refractory irreversible shock, that's when they progress into a hypotension that all the blood products and four vasopressor drips cannot fix. They are now a multi-organ failure, such as respiratory failure, renal failure, have shock liver or liver failure, coagulopathies, and are neurologic compromised or in a coma. This is a patient who can die in minutes or be on every form of life support we can provide for days to week in an ICU that will never recover. This stage is futile, and this is what we're trying to avoid at all costs. So on that cheerful note, let's go back to our two patients. We have that 20-year-old motorcyclist who is clearly in decompensated shock. He's hypotensive, tachycardic, poor skin signs, poor mental status. They're going to trigger your highest level of trauma response, probably get a mass transfusion, surgical control of that source of their bleeding. We all know that this patient is sick and they need everything we can throw at them. But what about our little old lady who took a fall? Knowing what we know now, am I concerned about a blood pressure of 102 over 94? Could she not be tachycardic because she's on beta blockers? Why is she tachycardic and confused different from her baseline? Because she could very well be in compensated shock. Remember, there is a difference between exsanguinating to death, like somebody whose aorta got shot and they die in seconds, versus being shocked by the complex cascade that gets triggered when we have blood loss. Shock is deadly. When your patient is in shock, the only way they will survive is if you recognize it, intervene, and turn them around. This is Trauma Nursing To Go. Thank you for listening to Trauma Nursing To Go. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. As a reminder, I do not represent my employer, and the cases presented are fictional and for educational purposes only. You can subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Feel free to contact me by email, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks for listening.